This is Bragg, the son of Balan, and you're listening to Light the Beacons, a Lotro podcast. Welcome to the world of Middle-earth. are lit. Lotro calls for aid. And Brog shall answer. Amandine, here in the foothills, in the white mountains of Enred Nimrus, tomfoolery is once again kindled. Welcome back to Light the Beacons, a Lotro podcast that also dabbles in books, movies, gaming, uh, holidays, and the beloved lore of Chris Tokian's Pops. This is episode number 7555. And I am your host, Bragg of the Lonely Mountain, the Sultan of Shieldswipe, the Earl of Agro, Conqueror of Mount Doom, and Dwarf of Ill Repute, broadcasting live from temporary LTB MEWHQ, far from Thalethelion, uh, here in the brownish and uh, rather boring-looking Tower of Baradorn. Yes, it's a lot of worn stone around me. Baradorn, the Tower of the Lonelands in Agamor, where Radagast the Brown, who is sitting in front of me at his table contemplating life, has taken refuge after the hijinks and goings-on in the Agamor area. And uh, he's not quite moved in. I see bookshelves around the walls that are uh, books, uh, boxes of books only partially unpacked. I see frogs. I see black squirrels. I hear a uh, green frog uh, ribbiting in the distance. And... Uh, uh, Radagast is reading by candlelight. You might ask yourself, why would you be in Baradorn, the Tower of the Lonelands, where Radagast dwells? Um, well, I think that might become evident as we move on later into the podcast. But uh, be that as it may, we have a lot to talk about. Special 75th episode, kind of some cool thematic stuff going on tonight. And uh, let's jump right into it. Let's go to our second beacon. Elinok, the second beacon, as usual, we got to deal with a lot of CRAP corrections, retractions, and apologies from last week. Last time out, we clearly offended Tommy Ark because he wrote in to say that he was not offended. I found this offensive, and since the best defense is a good offense, I promise to do a better job of offending my offenders going forward. But besides that, there was a lot of country music lovers that were none too happy about this, the last episode. Seriously, the feedback... On this, the feedback on this episode was underwhelming. I am talking Cricketsville. I would think my song would have engendered either outrage or high praise, as country music usually does. But instead, I received ambivalence and plenty of it. The worst response of all, well, such is the life of a solitary podcaster. It's a thankless job, but Grima has to do it. And to all those that were offended, we offer a solemn and very heartfelt uh, sorry. So, uh, viewer comments, agree to disagree. Uh, iTunes reviews, let's check the leaderboard. The last review of the podcast was left by F. Duddy, A.K. Fielder, on October 9th of 2017, and he currently has our high score. As always, if you want to join this illustrious vacuum of your viewers, then please, by all means, continue to do what you're doing right now. Viewer feedback, uh, none. My country ditty had them all speechless, evidently. Uh, from Twitter, though, uh, Fred Elsa wrote in to say, uh, Tryptophanic Coma sounds like an excellent, excellent name for a rock band and a great podcast episode. Thank you, Fred Elsa. I appreciate it. And Angela Taylor wrote to say, I prefer postprandial torpor personally instead of the uh, verbiage uh, tryptophanic coma. Postprandial torpor. I do like that myself very well. Community Spotlight. Um, so this is kind of interesting. A couple weeks ago, I was trying to log in to Lotro, as I am wont to do upon occasion, and I ran upon some authentication server issues. And the way they manifested themselves is by uh, Lotro saying that it did not recognize my password. 
Um, so, you know, sometimes you're sitting there in front of your computer and you type in a password and you're like, oh, I was probably brainlessly typing in like one of my 500 passwords, not really thinking about what I was doing. So I tried it again. So I tried it again. So I changed it to something else. So I drank a cup of coffee, sit down, turned around and tried it again. Wrong password, wrong password, wrong password. Could not get into my account. Uh, had never had this happen before. Uh, and what's the first thing you think of immediately? I got hacked, which means that when I do get on, eventually I'm going to find all my character inventories emptied and sold off for gold. Uh, and they changed my password and who knows what the heck they did um, to my characters and so forth. So that was rather worrisome. And the worst part about it was that uh, the uh, dwarven bearded wife and kids we're heading off for the weekend, so I had a full weekend ahead of me of alone time. Projects to do around the, uh, you know, Dwarven uh, Fortress, uh, of course, but um, a lot of free time to devote to Lotro, which I was very much looking forward to, and I thought I'd been hacked and I could not get into the account. So I um, eventually had to open a ticket on the Turbine website, uh, not in-game, obviously, since I couldn't get into game, and... Uh, Maybe two hours later, I got a note back saying that um, there were authentication, authentication server issues and I was not alone. That it was impacting others. I had gone on to Twitter and uh, done a twit to see if anyone else was having issues and had a couple people pipe back and said, nope, I'm in the game. So I really thought I was screwed on this one. But as it turns out, uh, there was an authentication server issue that was impacting multiple people. And within a couple hours, they had resolved it, and I was able to log into the game and check on my characters, and everything was there. So, the next time you can't log into your account, it's telling you you have the wrong password. Don't panic right away. Um, there is a possible explanation that it could be something else. Of course, if you haven't changed your password in 10 years that you've been playing the game, you might want to consider it. So what else is going on around the community? This past weekend was Winterfest, and uh, last year I popped into Winterfest and the year before for uh, a couple fun songs and all the nice revelry and wintry costumes that are usually around Thorns Gate. I did not get a chance to do those this year. Um, I'll have to take a look and take other people's word for it. Uh, you know, it's usually a fun event. They usually have quite a list of bands over the course of three full days of play. <coughs> Pardon me, Grime, edit that out, will you? And uh, didn't, unfortunately, get a chance to partake myself. If you did and you have a review, please let me know. Um, what else has been going on? Lotro Players, listening to an episode of Lotro Players uh, two weeks, a couple weeks ago, where they were reviewing, doing the, the review of, they're doing a review, Mortar by Mortar Region, and they were on Telath Uri. And uh, was listening to them talk about uh, the content on the landscape. And there was a pretty long rant from Pineleaf um, talking about some of the camps around the area and how they were unsoloable as a warden. Uh, he felt the difficulty level was just too high and he couldn't get through some of them. So, you know, Mortar's definitely got difficult landscape. Uh, there's, um, you know, there are places around it that are meant for once you get to 115 and you're a little bit geared, right, where if you're pulling a camp, um, you know, that's got four archers in it plus two elites that's a tough assignment for a melee class i'll give you that but as a warden there's not much that should be unsoloable on the landscape so i gotta call foul on that one you know obviously different players have different levels of skill different levels of expectations um and uh different experiences you know um so uh, some of the people in question clearly you know are not into Progression is not their thing, right? Instances, raids where you get the better gear, not that big of a deal. But, uh, you know, I, I do have people here, you know, it's kind of what I find interesting is that you hear this wide diversity in opinions of people on the landscape. For every person that thinks it's impossible, there's someone who says it's a walkover, right? It's the same thing you see with the raids. Um, the raid of uh, the Abyss of Mordath is out, and there are kins that finish the entire raid within two or three hours of it hitting the live servers, mostly because they've been practicing it out on Bullroar for four weeks beforehand. But, um, you know, we're talking about, oh, what a waste of time. See you again in nine months. And, uh, you know, I've seen pugs also that uh, one that it was in uh, struggle with trash mobs for three or four hours with, uh, you know, 
dozens of wipes <laughs> trying to even get to the first boss. So I guess it's all a matter of perspective. And I like to be somewhere in the middle of that spectrum myself. Um, all I can say is if you've got four archers on you in a camp that are ranging you down as a melee class, line of sighting is your friend. Find a corner of a rock or a tent and get around the other side to try to collect those archers into a group and then charge them so that you can knock them down with your melee skills. Um, Telthuri has a lot of valid criticism. Uh, the travel points in it sink, suck. Uh, there are a lot of holes in the rocks as you get out to the Gershkam where you can fall through and get stuck um, and or fall through the rock and, uh, you know, basically be underneath the rock but not really under the rock, right? Uh, you know, it looks like you're on top of it but you're underneath it and you can't see and you can't get out. Um, there are visibility problems with that rock because it's so dark it's kind of hard to see where the landscape is. The difficulty level is high. It's probably the hardest level um, in Mordor in my opinion. Uh, but it's still an epic space that is totally deserving of the lore of Mordor, in my opinion. So, um, so a lot of the criticisms are fair, but you know I think you have to give it its due in terms of its artistic design and what it's what it's accomplishing with some of the great interior dungeons like Nargroth and uh, Nairband, as well as some of the changes of pace of things, um, you know, questing type like you get in Fulshambal and Thorzaf, whether you like that or not. Uh, Forums Insider, BR build number five came out uh, during the course of the last tries, which had the last raid boss plus a bunch of PVMT, PVMP changes. Um, and there were a lot of things forthcoming, including recalibration of some of the baseline stats for PVMP as a first step. Uh, but oh my gosh, the, the vitriol around the landscaping key changes that came out were just staggering. People not happy about quote-unquote being driven to the store for loot box keys by the bloodthirsty SSG and or Daybreak publishers who were a bunch of evil villains. Ah, give me a break already. Same old crap. People threatening to leave. Huge diatribes listing the many perceived injuries over the last year, one after the other after another. You know, first they did this, then they did this, then they came out with a dungeon that they didn't fix for X, then they broke PVMP, then they did this. Wow, it's no wonder these guys are gun-shy to speak with us uh, with this kind of stuff. It does get pretty tiresome. Moving on from the forums. Uh, in this week's action-packed episode, we're going to, as never, talk a little bit about what we've been doing in-game these past few weeks. We are going to document some of our experiences with the High Elf. We are going to discuss adventures and pipe weeding. Are you sensing a theme here with the High Elves and pipe weeding? And if we have any time remaining, we will end the podcast prematurely. But if we want to have time for that, we better get moving to our third beacon. Hey, Radagast, man. Now you'll know why I'm here. We're talking about High Elves and pipe weed. Who else are you going to go have some pipeweed with in Middle-earth besides Radagast? Maybe Bombadil, you know, some of the Tooks. Who knows? There's some people out there. But, all right, uh, you know, since we're specializing in pipeweed, Radagast, why don't you pass that over? And uh, we'll get started here. Yeah. Hey, don't bogart that grime up. Pass it over. What's the matter with you, man? <sighs> hey, this is a kid's show, so you all know that it's just tobacco products, right? Sure you do. Same as Tokian did. I'm sure no one in England during his day ever did anything like that. <sighs> Very good. Okay, so this is new experimentation. We're smoking pipe weed and we're doing the podcast. Let's see if the tone of the podcast changes uh, over time as we uh, share a hookah pipe with Radagast and, uh, you know, vape some tobacco products. As far as you know, uh, this week in gaming and or other Tokyo news, um, there was a Steam sale, uh, surprisingly, on Black Friday. And, uh, you know, I've got enough games in my Steam library piled up that I'm not I'm being a bit more selective. But um, one of the little hobbits did come to me with a request uh, for a game called Unravel, which uh, was on sale in Steam for $4.99. And I took a look at the trailer, and I took a look at the art style of it, and I took a look at some of the reviews, and I decided 
this was an intriguing game that I thought had some really nice promise. So uh, we actually purchased the game on Black Friday for $4.99. Um, it reminds me a little bit in artistic style of Little Big Planet, if you, any of you guys have played that one out there. It's a story of um, basically a character made out of yarn uh, that uh, jumps out of an old granny's knitting basket and goes on an adventure. And as he does uh, explore her farmhouse out in the countryside, um, you know, I think the theme is that he discovers kind of her memories as she totters off to go to bed upstairs. He's like remembering things that have happened around the house and, uh, you know, the images of her life. And I found the artistic style just absolutely fascinating, beautifully done, really nice music, and some fun gameplay because um, the yarn figure always has a piece of yarn that's trailing behind him. Um, and he only has a certain amount to finish each level. So if you tangle it the wrong way or, or go about things the wrong way in terms of how you're traversing the landscape, you could run out of yarn before you get to the finish and get to the next section. Uh, but you can also use the yarn in interesting ways. He can pick it up. He can lasso objects with it. He can swing from it. He can pull things together. Um, you know, it's basically a utility belt for him that he uses as he moves across the landscape. So unravel um, just, uh, you know, maybe uh, 45 minutes to an hour of gameplay that I watched uh, someone else do, uh, but thought it was well worth, uh, looked like there was a lot of depth there, and um, again, the artistic style and the music worth the price of admission for five bucks, quite a deal, so go check that out. Um, we did uh, download it on our PS4, um, and we're playing it on our PS4, so it was in the, uh, I can't remember. Was it a Steam sale? Maybe it was a PS4 sale. Uh, can't remember. But we were playing it on the PS4 and the big TV. So uh, check that out maybe in their app store. And uh, I haven't been playing a lot of other games lately. It's been too busy with the holiday season. But as you may have guessed, I did go out to the movies twice this past weekend to see a little film. It's kind of an independent kind of you know indie yarn uh, called The Last Jedi. Yeah, you guys heard it. And I think you've heard it. And, um, you know, there's a lot being written about it right now. There's a lot of stuff out in the industry about it, a lot of argument about it. Uh, I don't want to do a full-blown review, but I will uh, chip in to say that I enjoyed it very much. Um, the little baby dwarves enjoyed it very much. I thought it was a fitting addition to the, um, to the series. Uh, obviously better than any of the prequel movies and right up there with some of the best of the first trilogy, in my opinion, uh, having seen it twice now. Um, they're getting really good at the CGI. It's very seamless, and uh, the movie is long. There are a couple sections maybe that you could argue didn't need to be in there. There's a lot of argument about whether the casino planet scenes were necessary at all, but I understand what they were trying to do there in terms of expanding the universe and the socio-political climate and landscape, um, you know, in the hopes of building future movies uh, that, uh, you know, aren't nearly as two-dimensional in terms of the good and evil that are present. So I think there was a reason they did those things, and I don't mind them. And some of the epic moments of your favorite characters are very well done. The lightsaber battle against the uh, against the Red um, Guardians. I'm not going to give any spoilers away here, but against the um, the Red Guardians of the Emperor uh, is a really, really neat. Uh, one of the best lightsaber bites, fights I have seen in Star Wars history, and uh, there's some great, great space battle. And I think they're really contemporizing the humor a little bit as well. Um, you can tell that right off the bat in the very first scene um, that they're uh, kind of making it a bit more modern in terms of its, some of its humor sensibilities. So uh, there's great characters there. There's great special effects. There's some epic moments. Uh, you know, the biggest complaint from the uh, you know from out there in the see the see the pipe weeds getting to me already. I knew this was going to happen. Grandma, get me some coffee. Um, so out there in the interwebs. Some of the biggest complaints are around uh, Luke's character arc and what they've done with him. Some people think it's not canon. Right? Well, Disney's Disney's deciding what's canon and not, guys. So you got to let it go. But, uh, you know, I think it, it comes down to nitpicking, right? This is a good movie. 
Uh, people shouldn't be complaining about where they're going with the story. Um, you know, you might not be where you expected it to go or where you wanted it to go, but it's still an interesting direction and it's well done. So I think people need to uh, maybe uh, loosen their shorts up a little bit and enjoy the ride um, because it is a good one. So go out and see Last Jedi. <laughs> I would not be surprised if in another week or two over the Christmas holidays there was perhaps a third viewing. And Lotro, what is what have we been doing at Lotro? Well, Bragg had an interesting uh, experience last week where there was a little uh, trivia contest going on in the world chat. And I piped in and actually uh, answered one of the questions correctly, which I can't remember at this point in time. But the person, uh, as, a pre as a prize, sent me a series, I think it was five or six stacks of pies. Uh, 15 of one kind, 10 of another kind, 20 of a third kind, 7 of this kind, etc. There was mushroom pie, there was steak and kidney pie, there was perfect pies, there was coney pie, there was spiced apple pie, I'm sorry, 7 of each. And um, if you consider yourself knowledgeable in this area, then you know what's coming. Uh, I received, after consuming the very last pie and the very last stack, I received the title indeed of Pie Maven. There are those that consider themselves knowledgeable in the areas of magic or warfare. You, on the other hand, know a great deal about pies. So that is a title that I never had as a character. I thought was a really cool present to send out to people that won the trivia contest. Stacks of pies that would uh, enable them to, um, to earn those deeds or titles in game. I've had others before that I have earned from eating food in the game, such as uh, if you eat 50 Lembus cakes, you get uh, the title of Cake Eater. Uh, things along those lines uh, that uh, are escaping me right now. A number of hidden deeds in the game uh, based on eating of food. And I think there's one for breakfasts where you eat a whole bunch of different breakfast food and you get like a breakfast connoisseur title, things of that nature. So anyway, um, made me think of Maven from Lotro Players. Hope she has the Pie Maven title. And if she does, someone better tell her to get it. Uh, speaking of titles, I have also achieved Master Herbalist that's right, 250 herbalism quests from either the Wastes or North Athelion. Uh, and the run that I used to do out of Henneth Annan um, used to get done about eight quests per run, uh, plus a few odds and ends and intros into the Waste. I estimate I did that herbal daily quest run a little over 30 times to add one more horse to my pile. Okay, so at one time when I first started out, I actually needed the flowers, so that's a bit of an exaggeration. There was value coming out of it uh, in addition to the title back when that was endgame. But I do wish there was some kind of reward worth buying with all the flowers that I have now. If you go back and look at the vendors uh, that are in Henneth Annan, the stuff that you can get is extremely underwhelming and or useless. You know, essences from that level where, you know, we've gone two or three uh, editions or versions beyond those in terms of what you can slot now. Um, you know, there's nothing like crystals, uh, amphalash crystals or scrolls of empowerment that you can trade these things in for. So the flowers are kind of wasteless. Um, the only thing I can think of is there's a couple housing items I could buy. And... Uh, I think I have the pets already. There might be one pet I haven't bought yet, but nothing that's going to give me any kind of advantage in game. So that's unfortunately. There's literally nothing, maybe a housing item or two I could get out of uh, the rewards for all that grinding. Uh, but at this point, the only thing left in my Athelian, North Athelian deed log is uh, one Slayer deed, enemy, enemies in Osgiliath. So at some point, I've got to go back and finish the Slayer deed in Osgiliath uh, just because... It's the last deed in that tab, and uh, I think uh, for finishing the meta deed for the region, I'll get some lockboxes and keys and that kind of fun stuff. But So worth doing, and we'll probably clean that up at some point. Allegiance dailies. What's going on with allegiances? Uh, I'm kind of done with allegiance dailies for Bragg. They're a lot easier to do on Bragg. Uh, but they don't have the overarching advantages that I described in my last podcast. So right now, when I do do Allegiance Dailies, I've been sending out um, my minstrel, my female hobbit minstrel. So she's chipping away at earning additional uh, additional Tombs of Allegiance and some of the deeds around Mordor. Um, Bragg 
finished all the continuing footholds deeds in Mordor and got the uh, Steed of Agronath, the horse, which is rather cool looking and I've not seen too much of in game. Certainly some people with it running around, but a little bit rare because of all the deeds that you need to get done in Mordor to get that horse. I finished the Slayer deeds in Mordor and uh, the daily instance mobs, so killing a certain number of mobs in Durthang or Bullroad or all those. So all those are finished. The only thing left in my old Mordor D-Log is um, three more, I guess they're not roving threats in Mordor. Let me check the D-Log real quick and I'll make sure I don't misspeak. So I have to come back and do more CRAP. Hidden threats of Gorgoroth. They're not roving threats, they're hidden threats. So I've got 7 out of 10. I'm only missing Iron Grasp, Naxdum the Scorcher, and Zagar Shar the Raging Blaze. Yeah, I think those guys will be in Talith Uri. And uh, the only other thing I've done is Scourge Slay of Mordor Advanced. I have 47 out of 50 and just need 3 more Scourges to finish that off. So I am rounding down the Mordor Deeds at this point. Not sure if there's a larger hidden deed beyond that, but uh, hopefully some decent rewards for finishing that content. And again, you know, driving the alts forward. So my mini is the next daily target. Um, you know, again, I switched from Bragg uh, to my mini to do it because you get extra deeds. Um, she has not recouped all the equipment from the rare Mordor chests, which you can get around the game by doing... Uh, the uh, camp quests uh, from the Allegiance dailies uh, in order to get, uh, you know, Ashes of Gorgoroth out of those items. And, uh, you know, the mini's still challenging. It's a, it's a lot more challenging handling more than two mobs with the mini at a time. But, you know, you've got your distraction. You've got your flop if you make a mistake. you got to be a little more careful and well, a lot more careful and painstaking about it. But um, enjoying the change of pace after so much Guardian play over the last couple months uh, to do something completely different and every once in a while to crit the uh, uh, the uh, what spell of the wizards or dance of the wizards or fire of the wizards skill um, and which hits seven mobs for between you know on a good crit between 35 and 50k a piece so that can be nice um, you know the mini and my captain and my guard probably all close to being able to do at least tier one uh, on the raid uh, Abyss of Mordath and, uh, you know, working towards more two-tier type gear. Uh, so, what else? My lore master is level 108 and has finished Udun. Uh, he's poised in Baradur uh, to head down into Baradur. Every time I log in, I go to see if someone's running by me to do Baradur or wants to join in because I don't want to do it alone anymore. <laughs> Not in a squishy class, but I'm sure I could. I'm, I'm thinking about switching to Blue Line for my LM and uh, taking out the old bear and having him tank for me. Um, not quite as fast, but a little more, a little more resilient. So that's the plan. Uh, my Berg is uh, almost level 106. Uh, he's been bumming around Udon a little bit. I decided to move forward with the Lore Master first, but every once in a while I log in and do a quest with the Berg. It's fun to sneak, sneak, sneak around. My Hunter is level 105 and has been farming, farming, farming. More on that later. Yes, it's riveting, so let's expand that in a future section. Uh, my Bjorning has been sitting in Frost Bluff collecting presents as well as my champ, who's now level 67. Uh, she finished the, uh, she's traveling through Mirkwood and just finished the uh, Dannenglor skirmish. So we're breaking open the Mirkwood skirmishes in the epic quest line. And Dannenglor was pretty easy for her to do, except for the encounters. Now, I will say I struggled with the encounters. Um, a couple of the encounters, you know, I'm still learning really how to play the champ to best advantage. Uh, you know, it doesn't really pay to run with them. You might as well go toe-to-toe -to -toe and just go down if you're losing. Um, kiting, not their best strategy necessarily. But uh, but I'm getting a little bit better at it. Uh, you know, I think the problem is I probably need weapon upgrades at this point. I think I'm dealing with level 60 LIs, and they're falling behind the curve. So two of the encounters in there, one in particular, I think I died four or five times. Uh, you know, I was using every trick in the book I could think about, and finally I got, you know, kind of a perfect... Uh, you know, combination of kiting skills, critting, uh, extra buffs, food, um, and timing on some of the things I did 
to just bring that guy down, which was satisfying after losing him four or five times. Not used to getting beaten on landscape. I know Skirm's not landscape, but they're not supposed to be quite as hard either. So, in any event, um, he'll be moving on to the other Mirkwood Skirm soon. My Warden is leveling in Frostbluff. My High Elf Warden is uh, the new character I'm going to talk about in the next segment. So I'm going to leave that to that, and I'm going to move on to my next beacon. We have come to Aralas, and we're going to talk about High Elves. Yes, indeed. So uh, two purchases I made recently in the game uh, based on some LP that I had saved up. Uh, one that I've been looking at for a long time where I purchased the, uh, oh gosh, what's this called? I think it's called the Journeyman Riding Skill, uh, which is an account-wide buff um, that puts any horse that you get at any time up to the max speed, which is, I think, 268 and gives it 200 health uh, across all of your tunes, across any account, across any mount that they choose to ride. And it's an expensive one. I think it was like... I want to say 2400 LP, uh, which is significant, but um, I had most of it, plus there was a sale on buying additional LP for Black Friday, um, so uh, getting the additional LP I needed to get that done was not that much more significant. Uh, so I've got finally got that done and out of the way, which I'm very happy about having that across uh, the board on all steeds, and that also gives me the Smell the Roses skill. Uh, which will allow me to slow down and take it easy uh, so that I can enter contests and and uh, other um, uh, competitions that are out there uh, that have to do with horse speeds. Uh, I've entered the realm where uh, Smell the Roses is now necessary to make me compete because I've become superior. That's right. Um, so, High Elves, let's get back to it. The other purchase I made uh, after another month's LP uh, stipend came in was to purchase the half which was finally available in the Lotro store for the bargain price of what was it something like $9.99 so um, on Landerville and in my account I have uh, a distraction because someone's calling for a scourge run. I only need three scourges. I might finish my scourge run while I'm podcasting with you. I only need three. I'll put someone on follow. Come on, cut me some slack. I'll try not to be too distracted. But um, I decided on a warden uh, for my high elf. I have a care one type of each class, basically, at this point, uh, on Landerville. A variety of different uh, races, obviously. And I know a lot of people are choosing the high elf captain. Uh, because it's the only combo you can't do uh, with an elf um, that you can with a high elf. High elf captains are now uh, quote-unquote thang. Uh, and the reason I did not do that is because I figured everybody else would be. So I didn't want to be a high, -end, a high elf captain amongst all the other high elf captains that were going to be out there. Plus, the other reasoning is leveling a captain is hard <laughs> and slow. Um... I really enjoy my captain at endgame, but I don't need to level two of them. I don't know if I'm even going to level this character. I mean, the primary reason I went through it was to see the prologue and kind of intro uh, for the High Elf, which was custom made for the class. Uh, so I don't know if I'm going to level the Warden, but if I do, it will reinforce my knowledge of Gambits, which I'm probably going to need anyway. Uh, my lo other lowest level tune is a Hobbit Warden. And he's only 39 at this point in time. And, uh, you know, most of that leveling has been done through festivals and stuff like that. So I won't say I know Gambits very well at all at this point. Uh, so if I do decide to level a Warden, it will help that I have two to reinforce some of those skills. So that was my thinking at least. And uh, where is he from? You get to pick from a number of cool locations as a High Elf. I picked Gondolin, of course, the coolest Lost Kingdom in Middle-earth this side of Khazad-dûm. Uh, so let's start right off the bat. The nice uh, portrait screen setting you get for the High Elf, uh, which I think is supposed to be somewhere in Rivendell, uh, where you wake up after your coma, uh, would be my best guess. But it's a nice background. It's uh, fetching, so to speak. Uh, you get some different looks and hairstyles that you can use from the High Elf to choose from to differentiate himself a little bit from the regular Elf class. And a little side note, boy, setting up a new character 
in Lotro, I have not done in a while, is a lot of admin now with all the crap you have to sort through in your pack from all the different X-Packs that you've purchased if you've been around the game for a while. So there are these boxes, and you got to unpack the boxes, and there's cosmetics, and you got to either put them in the wardrobe or get rid of them, and or equip your outfits because you have no outfits. Uh, there's crafting tips and pop-ups that you need to do to get the rings out of your face every time you walk by a craft hall. There's tool tips to look at, uh, you know, that pop up because it's the first time with a new character you get a new tool tip, and even if it's a bunch of stuff you already know. Um, you get mail for bestowed quests that you have to sort through. You know, Elrond wants to talk to you about this. Glider wants to talk to you about this. Mirkwood wants to talk to you about this. Moria wants to talk to you about this. So you got to sort through all that stuff. You got you to gotta fix up your inventory. Uh, if you have uh, uh, mounted cosmetics, you have to click on those so they disappear into your mounted panel uh, options and not in your inventory. Anyway, it's just a lot of admin <laughs> setting up a new character. It takes some time if you want to get it organized so that it's ready for action. And uh, as I get into the prologue and we're uh, you know around the Moranin, right, outside the Black Gate in the Second Age with the first, uh, you know, the first... Um, what do you call it, Siege of Barad-dûr, um, you know, seeing the elven superhero team all assembled is pretty cool. There's some big lore names in there that we don't see much in the game. Folks like Cerdan and Gil-galad and Elendil and Isidur, etc. Uh, kind of arrayed before you along with, you know, the usual suspects and Elrond's kids. And, um, you know, they... I noticed as they move forward, they run into the Nazgul. So they've got nine Nazgul, and we've got nine with me facing off against them. And I'm ranked up there with all the big elves of yore and lore. So I was looking at that and saying, you know, I know that the you know we're going to say something, and the Nazgul say something, and they'll rear up their horses, and they'll just, like, run away. But how awesome would it be to have, like, a huge nine-on-nine -nine epic brawl right now between, like, you know, You've got Glorfindel and the you know the the bane of Run or the 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 gloom of Nern or the you know the 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 uh, Reaver of Cond or whatever uh, fighting Serdan. It would be like a, a you know a giant WrestleMania cage match. It'd be awesome. So anyway, uh, you know again this is the pipe weed talking. Sorry about that. So anyone notice the coincidence uh, as you're following Thranduil through Mordor, who's there fighting alongside of you. Um, at one point, you fight Sarnestian the Young, uh, which is uh, you know a large spider semi-boss that comes out during the course of an instance, and you're fighting with Thranduil by your side, and eventually you drive the spider off and he runs away. Um, and I did note that eventually, if you follow the epic storyline in Mordor with your character at level 115, you will confront and kill Sarnestian the Elder. <laughs> Uh, with Legolas by your side in the Mordor expansion. So you and Thranduil versus Sarnestian the Young, all of you live a couple thousand years to tell the tale, and uh, at that point, you and Legolas fight that same spider a couple thousand years later in Mordor and finish the job uh, that he and his father started. So that was a really cool um, little... You know, that, that, that has to be by design, right? There's, there's no chance in, in that kind of parallel occurring. So... Um, that was pretty exciting. So, uh, what else is going on with the, the, uh, the high elf? Well, uh, I took my first jump where I do a somersault and roll to my feet and that's pretty cool. Okay. That may be the only cool thing that the class can do. Well, there's other, some cool stuff, I guess. Um, there's some cool settings for the new character. Again, Moranin and the Thamsend, uh, that you get, uh, woken up in as part of, you know, coming awake in Rivendell with, uh, with Elrond. And, um, at, oh, I'm sorry, at the top of Moranin is Thamsend, which is the tower uh, of Mordor that's up there. And um, it's like, uh, you know, sitting basically overlooking the gate. And we are arriving at Nuzdom, and I don't want to run into him, so I'm going to accept this quest and hope I don't glitch out since I've been recording all this stuff. You know what? My computer's been crashing lately. <laughs> okay, so where was I? Yes, uh, another Scourge down. Two more to go, and I'll let you know when I finish that deed in real time. So uh, we're looking at Gristlebite and Lingris near the Nelegroff Blood Mother pool thing place. So anyway, um, there's this uh, cool tower that they built, Thamsend, for uh, when your character basically 
runs up at the end looking for an imprisoned elf and finds one of the the witch king waiting for him there and uh, bad things happen to you which cause uh, quite a bit of time to pass but as I was running up this tower I was like this is a cool setting this would make kind of a cool skirmish methinks what if they had a skirmish in game that was in the second age where you were attack, attacking a tower uh, just like this one uh, trying to get to the end where uh, the witch king was uh, waiting for you um, you know, let's reuse those landscapes in interesting ways. I'm ready for them to add a new skirmish to the game at this point, uh, sooner rather than later, I am hoping. So you're trying to rescue an elf that got captured up there. You, you know, the, the downside of living forever is being able to be tortured forever. Let me clarify on that. Not good as a high elf. So, um, you know, I think I'm going to carry a cyanide poison pill in my teeth, uh, for a high elf, uh, who lives forever. You never want to get captured. Never. Uh, so overall, it's an ingenious way, I think, to weave the in the High Elf story. And it feels cool to be old pals with people like Glorfindel. But sleeping for 3,000 plus years seems to be a bit of a stretch. I mean, talk about sleeping in. Apparently doing shots of Morgul Blade will give you quite a hangover. Um, and you do come out of the, uh, the prologue basically automatically level 5. So you get the wary title, unless you uh, died in the prologue somehow. And what else do we have that's different? Hold on, I finished another Scourge. There goes Gristlebite. Looks like I stood around and did nothing. Yeah, I was one of those people. Oops. <laughs> but I got credit. <laughs> 49 of 50 done. And let me just grab this guy. I'm going to thank him publicly for allowing me to go on follow behind him. Udabomb. Uh, Gastwald Hunter of Dark Beasts. Appreciate it. Uh, you know, it's basically like being Patreon account for, you know, for Light the Beacons. You're my first supporter. So what else we got that's different for the High Elves? Oh, there's a different sounding horse whistle, <laughs> believe it or not. <whistles> Something like that. Can't remember what it is, but uh, really that's different. Okay. And then the coup de grace, the, uh, the piece de resistance. The Dance 3 emote, which allows you to do your version of Swan Lake. Swan Lake, here I come. Bragg's got a high elf in game. Never thought I'd see the day. We are at the fifth beacon of Enrimon. And now for the original weekly sponsor segment. Inspired by our recent playthrough of the Battle of the Moranon at the end of the Second Age of Middle-Earth, this episode of Light the Beacons is brought to you by a new player on the Saturday morning cartoon scene. With the introduction of the High Elf to Lotro, Hanna-Barbera decided to get in on the action and strike while the ring forges of Eregion were hot. The Great Flat of the Justice Allegiance. There assemble the world's five greatest elven heroes, created from the cosmic legends of Valinor. Super Elf. Wonder Elf. Bat Elf and Elfin. And Aqua Elf. And don't forget the three junior super melons, the wonder twin elves, Zan, Jaina, and their cosmetic pet Gleek, the Druidan. Their mission, to fight bourgeois malaise, to write that which is dwarven, and to serve all elf kind. This week on the super melons, our heroes will face off against the unimaginable evil of Carnivora, the meat eater. Yeah, we did that. Okay, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> hey, Aqua Elf, Sir Dan, right? I mean, it fits. You know, Galadriel, Wonder Woman, you got right down the line. El, you know, Glorfindel, Superman, Elrond wants to be Superman, but he's not. He's just Batman. You know, he's got his utility library, and that's about it. So, not sure who his uh, Robin sidekick is, but, you know, we'll find somebody. Probably his twins. You know, no, <laughs> the twins. We've got twins. <laughs> okay, so this is officially a pipeweed episode now. 
<laughs> We've got Elro here and and uh, L, you know the other L, <laughs> L, Elro here and L. What are their names? Uh, We've got the Wonder Twins. They're in there. <laughs> it all fits. <laughs> all right. If you want to hear more about the continuing adventures of the Super Melons in future episodes, then please write in and request it for all elf kind. <laughs> but in the meantime, we better move on to our sixth beacon. All right. We're at the sixth beacon of Had, And now it's time to discuss adventures in pipe weeding and radagast we can't really start this segment without you know getting to it so if you could maybe some wizard fire over here there we go okay as far as you know okay uh let's move on yes adventures in pipe weeding so, several years ago, I came across an article in the Lotro forums which had been long stickied, but which had originally been penned, believe it or not, in March of 2008. And I'll give the credit here to a character whose name at that point, or at least his foreign name, was Eagle Rock. And it was entitled The Ultimate Guide to Pipeweed. It's still out there on the forums. If anything I talk about over the next uh, couple minutes is of any interest to you, go check it out. It includes sections on uh, types of pipeweed. A uh, list of uh, pipeweed list of components, make, instructions for making pipeweed, the art of crossbreeding pipeweed, um, the Mines of Mori expansion updates to the pipeweed system, uh, tips and tricks for finding rare seeds around Middle Earth, and conclusion as well as references. So it's quite a lengthy uh, treatise on the subject. So basically, at least in the olden days, in 2008, and I'll talk about what's changed in a little bit, but there were three types of pipeweed in the game. There are vendor-bought pipeweed seeds, there are world-drop pipeweed seeds, and there are crossbred pipeweed seeds. So basically the way the system works is this. And hats off right now, I'll just talk about it up front, to, uh, I'll say turbine, because this is pre-SSG. Um, the vision to put something like this in the game, uh, you know, that clove tightly to Tokian's lore but has complexity and would interest people that are trying out MMOs. You know, I can't picture this system being in any other game but Lotro. So um, kudos to them for originally even developing the idea and deciding it was important enough to put into the world. So you can buy, as a farmer, you can buy seeds from expert farmers for several types of pipeweed that exist out there. And there are some seeds that will only uh, were at that time would only drop in the world from chests and backpacks and you know little um, boxes and crates and things that you could loot around the landscape. And uh, and then there were types of pipeweed that can only be created by uh, by farming crossbreeding the vendor bought pipeweed seeds with the world drop pipeweed seeds to make crossbreeds crossbreeds. So um, it was quite a big deal to go searching for the world drop seeds because they were rare. You might, uh, if you started around the starter areas and Bree and around the Lonelands and uh, in the Barrow Downs and so forth, you might, you know, run back and forth in a Barrow and open the same three or four packs, backpacks and chests, uh, you know, every 15 minutes, you know, over the course of a day. And, uh, you know, one out of every four or five or six or seven times, you might get a seed that was a world drop seed. Um, there are also some pipe weeds that are drop out of the summer festival. So they're seasonal based on festivals. They've got some new pipe weed types that were put into the game over time. So the point was to collect the world drop seeds from the starter areas, which was extremely onerous. And then uh, hope for a kind RNG when you're cultivating the fields of those seeds would result in some crossbreed seeds. Um, when you got enough crossbreed seeds, you could uh, harvest crossbreed plants up to the next tier. And when you had the next tier, as you were farming those uh, seeds, sometimes seeds from the next tier up would drop. So let me give an example. Uh, Tiefield Choice Pipeweed is a crossbreed. And it's dependent, um, making it is dependent on Rushlight seeds, which are world drops, and South Lynch pipeweed seeds, which are vendor bought. Um, 
it's also dependent on Roper's twist, which is another type of seed that would come out of uh, making tie field. So if you had Rushlight and South Lynch, you can make tie field. And as you were making tie field, which is a crossbreed, you might get seeds for Roper's twist, which was a level up in the hierarchy. Uh, and just so you know, tie field, tie field choice pipeweed is a decent sort of pipeweed, traditionally grown in tie field. Isn't that clever? Now, of course, the different types of pipeweed, as you probably well know, have different types of smoke rings that are um, are produced out in the world. And if you uh, smoke tie field, for example, you get two small rings that float out to either side, right? And I've seen uh, pipeweed in the game that will blow dry and smokeweed, um, shoot an arrow at you, have smoke rings that go through each other, have a bird fly away, and uh, even one of the best ones, a little boat. Um, so they all have kind of a unique, or most of them have a unique animation as to what happens with the smoke that you breathe out. Um, so if you got some Roper's Twist, you could be processed that for more seeds and you could move up in the pipeweed hierarchy until you had high enough seeds to try to generate the cream of the, the crop, so to speak, uh, tier six supreme pipeweed, which is called Goldfire. Uh, when the system first premiered out there, the highest um, the highest pipeweed, the previous king, was Wizard's Fire. Uh, but they came out with a, another crossbreed or world drop called Fungo's Fuzzy Leaf. And when you crossbred Wizard's Fire and Fungo's, Fungo's Fuzzy Leaf, you could create Gold Fire, which was the gold standard. So the big letdown, again, is that... Uh, Fungo's Fuzzy Leaf and Goldfire actually use the same exact animation as Wizard Fire for the smoke pattern. So they added some complexity to the game and another tier to achieve, but they didn't change the animation, which is a little disappointing because when you're smoking it, no one can tell that it's the cream of the crop. So I wish Turbine would take the time to flesh out a new smoke pattern or two to let those of us that took the time to crossbreed 17 different varieties of pipeweed have something to show off. So here's some of the things that have changed in the game since the pipeweed system originally hit. Um, there are no longer pipeweed farm fields, for example. They're no longer required. Every farmer's field that you have out there, you can grow any kind of farmer's recipe. It used to be that only certain fields in the Shire, for example, would be pipeweed fields. Others would be vegetable fields or um, whatever the case may be. There's another type of can't, fruit fields or whatever, fruit trees fields or whatever the case may be. So um, the other and the bigger difference is that world drop seeds are no longer required to do due to multi-output recipes. So um, what happens is, you know, I used to be able to find uh, rush light seeds out in packs around Breland or in the Barrows Down. And now instead of a rush light uh, seed, I just buy an apprentice journey, journeyman or expert pipeweed seed. There are three types. And you can get them all from an expert farmer. An apprentice, journeyman, or expert pipeweed seed. And from those, you can use a multi-output recipe to, to, to uh, get what n would normally have been a world drop seed previously. So fungos fuzzy leaf seeds, according to the wiki, should be available from expert farm hands, but I have not seen them anywhere, so I had to grow them myself. Um, the output of... Another difference is that the output of farming your fields can be any pipeweed seed of the same or the next level. So basically, the old hierarchy chart about what you had to combine together to get to the next level is not accurate anymore. Uh, if I sit there on one level and uh, develop wizard fire all day because I have a lot of wizard fire seeds, eventually I will get an RNG drop, eventually, of the next level up gold fire seed, although it can take quite a bit of time. For example... Um, it seemed to me, for me, for every five or six expert fields I do, I might get one seed for the next level up. And the rest of them would just be either crops that I could uh, change into pipeweed themselves or seeds at the, at the same level or, um, you know, seeds that were of the same level, even if they weren't the type. So, for example, if I was growing five fields of old Toby, I might get one seed for dragon breath pipeweed. And if I bred five fields of dragon breath, I might get one gamwich braid or eagle's nest pipeweed seed. If I bred five eagle's nest pipeweed seeds, I might get one wizard's fire. And uh, I've only had about three or four wizard's fire seeds in my life, so I'm not sure how many of those I might need to get a gold fire typically. 
But in my case, on my fourth crop field of wizard fire, I produced a gold fire seed and was able to create some gold fire uh, pipe weed. So again, I went through four, four different levels there. Each one were a factor of five, right? So in order to get that one gold fire seed, five, that's five, what's five to the fourth or five to the fifth, I might have, I might have farmed over a thousand fields of, <laughs> of pipe weed. <laughs> I, I very well might have. <laughs> Isn't that sad? <laughs> it's the pipe weed getting to me. I need the super melons. Help. Okay. Uh, be that as it may. It is an activity that you can do while you're doing other things, while you're watching TV, while you're listening to a podcast, all kinds of fun stuff. Uh, so if you do the math, um, actually, I did the math, and it might mean cultivating about 600 old Toby fields to get one gold fire seed, approximately, if my one for five is on somewhere near the mark. So it's on that magnitude. It just takes a lot of patience now, not nearly as much grinding the landscape for the landscape resources as before. Um, but what I found out later is there is a third alternative. If you don't want to spend the time... Uh, you didn't, you don't have to grind the landscape anymore, but if you don't want to spend the time to farm the individual seeds, they're if introduced to the game, apparently with rep vendors for the riders of Rohan and, and Helm's deep expansions, the availability of wild pipe weed seeds. So you can go up to the rep vendors and just buy wild pipe weed seeds directly from the vendors. And each one of these fields produces four or five pouches of a random pipe weed type including wizard's fire or gold fire so it's not special anymore anyone who got those expansions um could get those wild pipe weed seeds and use those to get their wizard's fire or gold fire but i want to promise you this i wanted to do it the old-fashioned way so even though i found out i could do it that way i did not cheat i grew my gold fire through hundreds of toby fields <laughs> i know i'm an idiot so uh, the shame is the stuff like this that made Lotro cool, in my opinion. Um, it's direct from the lore and it's accessible for any level player to explore. Actually, in second thought, it probably should have been the second hobby in the game, which might have made it a lot more popular for folks to try. If you'd had a number of things in your deed log, um, for example, for uh, being able to grow each type of pipeweed as you found it, I think it would have been uh, a lot more attractive for people to be able to get a title that said, you know, wizard fire smoker or, or grower or whatever the case may be, or pipeweed master. I mean, people pursue those titles all the time for in-league, and they do incredible grinds for ale association and things of that nature. So uh, here's my pro tip for SSG. It would not take a lot of effort at this point to create pipeweed as a second hobby in the game and just add some titles that you could achieve by growing them the old-fashioned way and I really think it would catch on with a lot more people so uh, that's kind of all I have to say about pipeweed um, there were a lot, number of people I've read in the forums that were way into it when it first came out and took a lot of pride of growing up all the different pipeweeds and uh, I have now joined their ranks so I have uh, let me see a stack of gold fire here, 35 pouches of it, and I'm going to waste one of them right now. I'm sig sitting in Argonarth next to the ranger's camp. I've climbed up on a rock, and I'm taking a big old toke of gold fire. He's smoking. Yes, yes, very nice day for it, isn't it? That bloody swamp and the bloody gold killing up all the bloody... Okay, I'm ready to blow a smoke ring, and there it is. It's a giant bullseye. So if you've never seen a gold fire pipeweed ring, it is a giant smoke ring around the center with a spot right in the middle. Makes it look like basically the target symbol. And unfortunately, no title for brag. I have not earned a title that calls me a gold fire smoker or whatever the case may be. Not sure I would wear that. You might be, you know, chastised by the moral majority in the game. But uh, at Radagast would say, it's a blast. Where's my deed title for Goldfire? It doesn't exist. But I hope I piqued your curiosity about the pipeweed system within Lotro. And maybe you'll want to experiment with it on your own. But it's time for me to be moving along to my last beacon of Kalanhad. 
Sorry we ran out of time to end early. Hopefully next time. It's time for Blessed Relief. I'm officially putting a little Christmas-colored bow on the 75th episode of Light the Beacons. Three quarters of a century of futility is in the books. I would love to hear your plots, feedback, plots, feedback, rants, diatribes, and most of all your constructive critique. How do you feel the podcast has developed over the last 75 episodes? What directions have you liked or disliked? Or what else would you like to see me do? Do tell. You can contact me at bragsonofballon at gmail.com. That's brag with two A's. The second I stands for an annulment. On Facebook or Twitter at bragsonofballon or my website at lightthebeacons.com where you can post comments directly on the podcast. I kindly request that you take the team time to create an iTunes review. If perchance you were so inclined, I would very much appreciate it. If your comments incite me to forego my legendary... <laughs> I will try to include them in the next podcast or respond in some way. So I hope you laughed either at or with me. I hope you might have learned at least a little something about pipe weed you didn't know before or perhaps looked at my smoking habits with a slightly different perspective. And most of all, I hope you enjoy your week in Middle Earth. This is Bragg, son of balance, signing off. Merry Christmas to all. And I'm hoping to get an episode in after Christmas and before the New Year's where maybe we'll talk about some predictions and so forth. And uh, just as a little teaser, I am keeping a log of every daily present I open in uh, Winter Home this year for the Yule Festival. And I'm going to tabulate those results and start to share them with you maybe at the next podcast. So um, Baruch Kazad, uh, folks. Merry Holidays and so forth. And the next time you're faced with the prospect of being tortured for all eternity in the dungeons of Baradur, don't despair. It's probably not quite as bad as sitting through 75 episodes of Light the Beacons, I would imagine. So there you go. Thanks, Ghost. Take care. Holy Lumbus Bat Elf, that stone troll is about to squish those little hobbit lasses flatter than a Mumex trampoline. You're right, Elfin. We've got we've got to figure out a way to get them to safety. We'll use our bat sunlight projectors to stop those stone trolls dead in their tracks. Wow, nice work, Bat Elf. Looks like we put those trolls between a rock and a hard place. Ha 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 